Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, excited to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today we're going to have Catlin Tucker join us. Um, Catlin is an educator, coach, trainer, speaker, author, Blended learning all-star, let's just be honest, uh, and is someone who we from the ESUCC have really benefited learning from as of late. We did a book study on her book, Power Up Blended Learning, as she is leading a lot of our ESU employees statewide on some coaching tips for uh, blended best practices. And, and so that's been a really great experience for us here at the ESUCC. Uh, she also recently released a book, Balance with Blended Learning. Um, welcome to the podcast, Catlin, and we look forward to learning from you today a little bit more about remote learning. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And so just to start things off, I guess our educators right now are considering, hey, we're going to go back in person, but there's a chance that we end up in a remote setting at some point or having to teach in both spaces. And that remote setting is really new to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what has blended learning sort of taught you that you think might help us in the present moment get ready for that remote learning space? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say, which is not specific to lessons learned from blended learning, but if teachers are bumped online and end up working with kids in this kind of distance learning format, just keep in mind that you cannot do everything that you have done traditionally offline and just kind of plop it in the online environment. Everything online takes more time. Students may need specific skill building around engaging with instructional strategies online. And so just giving teachers the space to kind of focus on very specific skills and kind of scale back just the volume of what they do and, and to feel that that is okay for them. I have taken a lot of the, the structures that I use in blended learning. So for example, a lot of teachers I have coached in the past love the station rotation model. So for me in the last few months, trying to take the models that we have used classically in a blended learning format and figure out, okay, if I love station rotation, which does not seem like a natural fit for the online virtual environment, what could that look like? So I've shared a lot of resources to try to help teachers plan for virtual learning through the blended lenses that they already really like, be it, you know, flip learning or station rotation, uh, the playlist model. And I think one of the, the things I want teachers to remember if they're online with kids is really to prioritize community building and engaging the group. So even though they're learning remotely, where are those moments where we're having them engage in conversations, be that asynchronous in an actual text-based discussion or whether you have little ones and they're recording video-based discussions um, or contributions to a discussion, how we can use those virtual conferencing sessions to engage kids. So really prioritizing that, that community component of learning so that if kids are online, learning remotely, disconnected from their class, their peers, their teacher, they still feel connected to that learning community. They still have opportunities to kind of engage in that meaning making as part of a community. That just gets to the, the core of education with that relationship piece. And that's just so critical. And it's going to be such a challenge as uh, so many of our students will not have even potentially met their teachers in person uh, or for how well I've done so for such a brief time that it's hard to be grounded in a relationship. And I want to personal note, I hope that 
uh, Google Meet and Zoom and, and different programs get to a place where they do virtual uh, like breakout rooms that you can monitor. I hope that we get to the tech where it can happen because I think those, I those think that's station rotations, is it? You know, I think something so. that, go ahead. I, no, no, I just, I, I know that Zoom, you can uh, literally create your own groups. You can pre-assign students to groups. And I feel like I heard this is coming down the pike from Google as well. So fingers crossed that this will definitely be something that we get to lean on because it's clear a clear need online. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I even tweeted at Zoom the other day to ask if it would, they would get to a place where we could monitor all of those rooms from that central. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah instead of having to hop in and out of them. <laughs> right. So you kind of know what's going on. And I think that would be really interesting if we could get to a place because that station rotation then could happen in a virtual setting. And so I'd certainly uh, like to see um, the technology flex to be able to make that kind of thing thing work. But that's kind of pie in the sky and not going to help us probably right now. And so that being said, what would kind of be your first steps if you are, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be elementary or secondary, but as in this moment, if you were to say we are going to go remote, um, valuing those community pieces and that relationship, where would you begin? Yeah. So one of the things that's fascinating, so I'm in California, a current hotspot. And in the spring, when we all got like bumped online, when teachers got bumped online, they already had those relationships that community established. And so, you know, there were myriad problems that, that happened because there was so little warning, so little training, um, equity access issues. But going into the new school year, and it looks like an increasing number of teachers in California at least will be doing that virtually, there has to be a real focus on intentional community building online. We have to get past that mentality of I am disseminating and collecting in the online environment, which I see, I saw a lot of in spring and really how am I engaging this community in learning online? So I think, you know, for teachers here, have a welcome week, a, a week that is just about generating excitement, onboarding, you know, activities and community building kind of stuff. So students acclimate to this new reality because some of our kids checked out in March and we quite frankly haven't seen them, right? And so how do we get them excited to come back to school when they're not actually coming to school physically? So whether that is hosting some virtual conferencing sessions, you know, like a welcome back webinar where you do everything from introduce yourselves to engage kids in an icebreaker activity in the Zoom call, to go through your syllabus, highlighting key elements and things for kids to know. You know, what is a typical day learning online gonna look like? What is this workflow for this class? Where are you gonna find your resources? So as a teacher, using that as an opportunity, let's take a like a virtual tour of our virtual classroom, which is gonna be your learning management system. That's the place kids are gonna come together to access content, access you, access each other. So generating excitement with those kinds of events. And then also, you know, if you have kids or even have it be a parent-child endeavor where, you know, have a first-day survey that's really extensive. Ask all the questions that would help you get to know these people. Ask them to introduce themselves on a flip grid and, and answer some quirky questions so they can start to get to know one another. Um, if you're going to be using online discussions, pulling them together in a, in a digital space to, to answer quirky questions like, if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Like, just start from those places of clearly, I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know each other so that as we, as we start to transition into more academic topics, you feel more comfortable having your voice be heard, sharing your opinions and beliefs, and engaging in an authentic way with your peers. 
Well, and what I hear in your answer there too is that it's multimodal or at least it's across platforms, right? And I, I think that that's something that uh, people that have tried to establish communities and I even look within the education community at some of the ways that people have gone about creating book studies or, or followings around the things that they're most passionate about is that they exist in different spaces uh, and try to make you feel like, yeah, if this is integrated into your day to day. And I understand that not all of those things necessarily have to be assignments or lectures. Um, but like you said, it could be procedural. It could be something that's communicative for to the parents, maybe. But uh, it wouldn't hurt to maybe create a class uh, Twitter site or some sort of Instagram page where as people do something amazing, you know, if you're able to sort of showcase maybe not their picture because we have to be careful with those things but so uh, <laughs> what it looks like to do learning online and, and to be invested in that and create that sense of community integrate different places um, to sort of showcase that is, is really important so let, let's explore that parent aspect a little bit more too because I think that given the role that parents are going to play uh, because I mean, ideally, they've always played a pretty significant role, but in this setting, it's, it's elevated, I think, at any level. So what are your thoughts maybe about uh, the things that we can do to try to integrate them a little bit more into the process of learning? Yeah, I think particularly for parents of younger kids, we are leaning on them so heavily. And, and they are, quite frankly, the student's first teacher in life. So they do know how to teach some skills and things, but a lot of, a lot of parents feel very much like, a fish out of water when it comes to those academic skills. And so if they are going to be a learning coach at home aiding students, then they have to be part of the communication loop. I think we can really support them if we create not just videos for learners, but keeping in mind that there may be a parent audience to this, or maybe if you're working with young kids, it's almost a video for parents to assist in things that are happening at home. So for me, communication is key. And I know, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, sometimes those communication or past communication with parents maybe hasn't always been 100% positive. So there's some trepidation around opening up those communication lines, but you know, whether it is letting parents know how to get in touch with you or having like a welcome to the week video at the start of each video so parents and students can watch it and understand where the learning is going that week or hosting a monthly webinar for families, like what's working, what's not working, how can I be more supportive? So that they really appreciate how much hard work we're doing as educators, but we also let them know, hey, we value your feedback we want to make sure that we're supporting you as much as possible because there's going to be issues that come up where parents are like, I feel like my kid's on the screen too much, or I'm not sure how to support them in this area. And if we don't ask, then we can't help to, to kind of troubleshoot some of those issues. And what I hear in your comments there too, that it goes beyond just what and where, you know, we're not just going to say, this is where you find this, this is what we're using. It, it gets to a how, so this is maybe how we're going to leverage this technology and how this communication is going to work and we'll end that back and forth. Uh, I think within that too, uh, you mentioned that it's ongoing and, and that's so critical that this isn't just a back to school night, that this is something where on a weekly basis, and I understand that, you know, we, none of us have time. <laughs> and so <laughs> I certainly want to like be sensitive to that, but, but note that to be effective in this space is going to ask for that because of the elevated role, I think that the parent is going to play uh, in everything. And, and so uh, making sure that you are consistently trying to reach out and, and extend that communication where you can, which leads to, I think the third piece you brought up there, feedback. 
and so it is going to have to be a very big piece of what we, uh, I think that's one of the best ways for us to grow from the spring to yeah. what we're about to enter into. Because in the spring, as you said, it was very, uh, I'm going to send the assignment to you, you're going to send something back. Uh, and that's what it is. And maybe I'll put some comments on it if it's in Google. <laughs> so um, the opportunity, I think, to create avenues for that to be ongoing to inform our practice is critical. What are your kind of thoughts around that and maybe how we, we might best do that? I have a lot of thoughts about feedback. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk about this in two different, from two different angles. One is feedback to students. So let's do that first, the, the traditional feedback loop from teacher to student, right? The research that delves into feedback in the online environment very clearly indicates that audio and video feedback are perceived by online learners as more detailed, more thorough, more personalized, and more motivating. So as teachers think about giving feedback in a classroom uh, that's virtual or that a lot of it is online, building into our schedule, as important as it is to design learning experiences to provide that instruction, that feedback is how we let students know we care, that we're here to support them, and to ensure that they're making progress through the process of whatever work they're doing. And I think sometimes teachers, because time, feedback can be so time consuming, because typically when we give feedback, we give feedback on everything all at one time, instead of really focusing on one element, one skill, giving very focused feedback on that then students can act on, that feedback takes a backseat. It's like so time consuming, it gets neglected, yet it is probably the most powerful tool we have as teachers build relationships with learners because when they receive timely, actionable, quality feedback that is easy to digest, so not focused on so much minutia that kids are overwhelmed, then they feel like, oh, this teacher sees me online. This teacher is giving me specific feedback. And so maybe some of that is text-based, but if we can also think about, like I was just playing around with this uh, new tool called, I think you call it Mote, M-O-T-E, and you sign up for it, it's free. And literally, when I open a comment in a student's document, it's just this little purple M. I click it and I leave an audio comment and boom, it makes a little transcript of what I said. The transcripts are, eh, you know, sometimes they, they do not capture your wording exactly, um, yeah. but the audio comments there. And so kids just play the audio comment and they can hear you. So for me, it actually saves me time. I'm not like typing up these comments. I'm just recording like a little snippet and it gets attached to the, the, the document. Or if I'm pulling something up on my computer, it takes like four seconds for me to click screencastify and start a little video like screencast so I can just talk through what I'm seeing on the student's document. I can use a little annotation tool to like signal and cue so they know what I'm talking about and what I'm referencing as I'm going through their document. And that's great for online projects and things because you have that visual that you can capture. So just kind of thinking differently about the way we give feedback and really honoring it as a critical part of our process. So if we have a, a six hour school day, I'm using air quotes, right? We're online with kids. Can we make sure every day we dedicate an hour of our time if possible to just giving some focused feedback and, and just tackling it a little each day because it's so pivotal. And then from the other perspective, and this is the, the aspect of feedback that I think is probably most neglected in education is asking the student for feedback, right? Students are the consumers in education. They consume what we're dishing out. 
it only makes sense that we regularly check in with them to figure out what's working, what's not working, um, what suggestions you have, what are you enjoying, especially as we navigate these new spaces. So most teachers haven't taught online before. They haven't taught, you know, maybe they've used blended learning models, but maybe they haven't been on an adjusted schedule before. So are the things we're doing working for kids? And that might be as simple as at the end of each week, you ask them to fill out a little uh, Google form with a few questions, nothing too taxing, but tell me what worked for you this week. Tell me where you really struggled, what didn't work for you. Did you find the video conferencing engaging? If not, what suggestions do you have? You know, just letting kids know we care just by asking for feedback. And I know, again, it's, it's like the parent conversation. We know we're gonna get feedback that's really honest and it's hard to read because kids are really honest, but it's, it's the most effective way, I think, that we can really build that loop of feedback to learning to iteration and improvement and continually moving through that process as educators as we find our way in these new learning landscapes. Um, I think that's worth bringing up because these students, we are only able to do in the classroom what we were able to do over the course of the spring semester. And like you said, that's one experience, one remote lens through which we understand this work. Particularly our secondary students, they maybe had six, seven, eight different experiences. And so with that uh, wide ranging set of, hey, this teacher did this, this teacher did that, to have the feedback and say, hey, what worked for you last spring? What things did you find yourself doing? And I think that's the other piece too, is to say that we all kind of have our learner preferences, the things that we gravitate towards to help make us a little bit more efficient, optimize our ability to retain information. Uh, and I think there's an opportunity within this through feedback and like you're talking about where you give them the opportunity to say, I'd like to see the options I have available go in this direction uh, for them to own those things and grow as effective learners uh, if we make space for that. How do you feel about that as a topic? Where does your work kind of line up with that idea about trying to capitalize upon this to make um, just lead to better learning driven by the well, learner? Yeah, well, what I think you're speaking to that's very much in my area of interest is how do we help students to develop their like metacognitive muscles? Like, I bet if you presented a student with that question, like what worked really well for you last semester? What strategies did you find most effective? You're gonna have a lot of kids who never get asked questions like that. And they're gonna have to pause and think about, okay, what did I respond to? What did I really enjoy about that experience? What did not work for me? And for me, I am always, and in my new book, Balance with Blended Learning, there's an entire chapter on goal setting, an entire chapter on metacognition, because one of the things that I worry is teachers do so much of the heavy lifting cognitively in a classroom. And I think students should be constantly like asked, hey, consider what you care about, what you're working toward. And then here are specific ways in which you can track and monitor your own progress so that you really understand yourself as a learner. So that when I ask you questions about what is working for you and why do you think it's working and what's not working and what would you suggest as an alternative, that they actually have a heightened awareness of their themselves, the way they think, the way they learn. So they can be these helpful sources of feedback who can speak intelligently about their learning experience. 
And that's where, yeah, I, the work that I've uh, been a part of with personalized learning has been really passionate about that very same topic, right? And I, I think that we saw in the remote setting when we shifted that there were a number of things that held us back from being our optimal selves, I think, in that space. Uh, but for the learners, especially, I think it was just like you're saying, the lack of uh, prior experience with having the responsibility of driving that learning on a day-to-day -day basis. It's pretty easy to show up as a student, have somebody talk to me for 20 minutes, then I do some worksheet that the teacher has all the answers to, and about five minutes later the bell rings and I go do the same thing in the next class. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, asking them to really be reflective and insightful and that metacognitive piece as you're talking about there I think is critical if we're going to ask them to be able to handle navigating this new space and, and so we saw that deficiency before and building upon it now. Uh, well, and I would even jump in and say you know you have I've, I've heard a lot of people in education and even outside like lamenting about like how ineffective online learning is and just like what a disaster spring was and i like i bristle a little bit because i'm like first of all who was trained on this who right. even had a heads up that we were going to have to do this as educators like nobody no so we had a weekend in yeah, some don't don't tell me that we did just <laughs> this awful job online like you're welcome for making this huge <laughs> shift overnight it's a learning process like mm -hmm. hopefully this summer we're going to have some more tools in our tool belt to pull from as educators but then also from the student side there's been a lot of like oh students didn't respond well to online learning students couldn't learn independently and i'm like when does most students even get a choice in a classroom like what you're saying like if we in our classrooms don't teach them how to drive the learning how to own that experience how to learn independently if we focus on, I'm going to tell you what you're going to learn, how you're going to learn it, what you're going to create to demonstrate learning. The focus in this room is going to be in large part on compliance. Then we can't be stunned that kids get off, you know, at they're at home, they're learning online and they're like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't make decisions about my learning. Somebody tells me what to do. And now there's not somebody sitting right in front of me telling me exactly what to do all the time. So I, I hope that in this whole situation that there's kind of this awareness that the ways in which we've traditionally taught don't help students develop the self-regulation, the independence that they need to thrive in moments like we're in right now. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think that's specific to different levels of learners, um, both by grade or by uh, just ability levels. I, I was always stunned in class when I would have students that would come up to me and say, well, I don't really prefer the way we're doing this personalized piece <laughs> right now. Uh, and I would press into that and kind of ask them, you know, because I want to know. And then in, in some instances, it was because it was more responsibility on them. And they didn't want to shoulder it. It was so much oh, easier. They were phenomenal at the game of school and they would show up every day and, and just run it and just be able to get an A plus. <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, anytime they had to kind of own that process and really be, do that metacognitive heavy lifting that you're talking about, um, it would get frustrating or cumbersome or they're just like, I, it's just better if you do it for me. Uh, yeah. Is, um, isn't this your job? Isn't yeah. all this thinking stuff and assessing like your job? And I'm like, no. And, no. but it's, yeah, they push back because it's so much easier to be a student in a teacher centered classroom. Mm -hmm. It is so much more cognitively and socially taxing to be a student in a student centered classroom or in a class where you are really taking time to think about your learning and evaluate your your progress and your skill sets and a lot of kids absolutely in the beginning they're like what 
this is your job. And so there is a degree of retraining that has to happen uh, where they start to appreciate the rewards of that kind of owning of the learning and, and metacognitive practice. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's something I've even talked about on the podcast before. I have done work with second graders where you give a 30 second video to explain to them how they're supposed to go about a certain assignment and they watch it, raise their hand. What am I supposed to do? Oh no, you're supposed to watch that and learn from it. <laughs> and you have to kind of teach them strategy. You can stop it, you can replay it. You should be not looking at this as something to be entertained by, but as something to actually right. glean information from. And it's different. Uh, and it takes an onboarding that I think would be beneficial for us all to think a little bit about here uh, at the end of July as we get ready for uh, what could be our reality in the fall. And so uh, a half an hour goes really fast, Callan. <laughs> so um, our time here is uh, drawn to a close. But, and I do want to thank you uh, for taking the time to share and, and leave you um, with the opportunity really to just kind of, uh, is there any kind of closing note, final message that you'd like to impart uh, to our educators listening in today? I think just be like gentle with yourselves. I think educators are so, they want to do such a good job for students, which is absolutely like, I want the best for students as well, but this is totally new. If you're being bumped online, if you're on these blended schedules and you feel like a fish out of water, all we can do is like, think big, start small, know you're going to make mistakes, like give yourself permission to make mistakes and then just do the best that you can. And I would pick up one strategy, one tool, and, and kind of make your way through it before you try to tackle, you know, sometimes teachers try to tackle so much and then they get frustrated or overwhelmed. So just kind of starting small and, and just embracing that we are all very much learners in this moment and that's okay. Uh, I couldn't agree more and just um, would love to encourage everybody to give themselves a little bit of grace uh, and take care of themselves as this is um, sure to be a challenging like semester and, and potentially a year. And I think it's okay to just acknowledge that. And thanks for kind of leaving us with that message. So uh, re really appreciate your time today and look forward to learning from you over the course of this year. All right. Take care, everyone.